Hey, Darren, I'm watching the best show on television. You want to know what it is? What is it? I think I know, but what is it? Inglorious Trexperts. And you're thinking to yourself, wait a second, that's not a TV show. But it is. But it is. It It is. is. It's a TV show because you can watch us on the Electric Now app. It's an app for streaming video podcasts as well as movies, television, and more. You can see us on demand on Electric Now. I demand it. I demand because I demand it. Commodore Stone can watch us on the Electric Now app. And how do you get the Electric Now app? Because apparently people are having trouble understanding the concept. Just go to your app store from whatever device you're using or all of the devices you're using. And you download it to your phone, your iPad, your Roku, your whatever, whatever you, whatever you, whatever you have that streams. Other than a Viewmaster, you download it and, and then you watch it 100% free. There's no charge. There's no Patreon. There's no Electronic Frontier. All there is is a free app. So download the Electric Now app from your favorite app store and watch us on Electric Now. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And if you're a fan of the only gentleman secret agent with a license to kill and thrill, you should pick up my new James Bond oral history, Nobody Does It Better, available now in hardcover, audio, and digital wherever books are sold. Do you expect me to read? No, I expect you to buy it. Need to make a call? Look for a police call box. That's where you'll find Two on Who, the new Doctor Who podcast from Electric Surge. Two on Who is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And welcome back to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. I'm your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me as always is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. How you doing, Josh? I'm sorry my recording stopped on my Zoom. (laughs) Apologies on this. That's okay. Uh, Which I guess brings me to my next point, which is uh, if our audio quality or anything else seems not up to snuff, that is because we are still bungling our way through trying to figure out how to do this podcast at home, which is complicated by the fact that uh, if you do not know, we are also a video podcast. If you get the Electric Now app, you can watch all of our episodes and see our beautiful, beautiful faces not looking at the camera and staring at our microphones like (laughs) podcasters do. Um, But we are back again for part two of our episode with Eduardo Sanchez. How you doing, Ed? Good, good. Um, And then we'll just pick up right where we left off. You should go back and listen to the first episode if you've not already, which was about the journey through the many Blair Witch prequels and sequels and basically Ed's life post-making one of the big 90s. I guess you would call it a 90s movie, even though it was yeah. right at the end, though. Yeah, no, definitely 90s, man, for sure. Nine, it was influenced by the 90s, but then it itself influenced everything they came after. Um, by the way, it came out the same summer as The Haunting, which was like a $50 million haunted house movie. <laughs> and it was like so much better, which was so awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was like the big thing was that, uh, you know, the big budget you know, horror movies were not doing as well as this little crappy uh, independent movie. You know? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, it was just our reacting to that stuff, to those big move, big budget, you know, monster movies or, or uh, horror movies that weren't scary, you know? Yeah. Well, and, you know, building off of what we talked about last time, which was the fact that you had not set out to be a horror filmmaker, but now found yourself having made one of the most profitable any kind of movie let alone horror movie but uh when did you guys come up with the idea of heart of love was that predate blair witch or was that kind of part of the reaction to just not wanting to do another horror movie no, that, that, that's the whole thing man is that like not only did we were we not horror filmmakers but if somebody would have come to us pre-blair witch and said hey here's a million bucks you can make whatever movie you want we would have made heart of love for sure I mean, 100%. Um, so luckily, not, nobody made us that offer. Um, <laughs> but um, 
No, her love was something that, I mean, because really, like, Dan and I, as a partnership, we met in film school, and um, we, like, got each other's sense of humor, and we were, like, constantly joking and making each other laugh, and, um, you know, that was just, for us, it was just natural that we were going to do this comedy together. We were always like, oh, imagine if we could do this, and, oh, and then we started coming up with scenes, and, and then we got... Um, we another guy in, in film school named Dave Brown, who was also kind of a comedian, kind of funny guy, and we would just come up with these skits and these ideas, and we would write. I would write them down and whatever, but nothing really happened. And then, um, then you know, we we switched over to Blair Witch because you know nobody's gonna give us money for freaking hard love, and and then and the title was just like it's uh, every time I hear you say it, it's, I want to laugh like <laughs> the, stup the stupidest title for any movie. Like, we and we set out. We were like, we've got to come up with a dumbass name that doesn't mean anything but means everything. <laughs> and um, so we we uh, you know we, we did this. We did Blair Witch, and then afterwards, you know, after Blair Witch, Artisan, uh, the company that, that did Blair Witch, came to us and said, "All right, what do you guys want?" We we signed like a three picture deal with them or something, and they're like, "What do you want to do?" And we're like, "Well, we really want to do this, you know, uh, goofy ass." comedy that we've had in our heads for many years and and um you know they agree we kind of soft pitched it because we didn't know what the hell it was about at either you know at that point and they're like all right well you know we'll we'll do that so they basically picked up the distribution rights to the united states you know domestic i think canada as well but um and then they let us sell the world um and uh and really, I mean, when it came down to it, like they, you know, like all, you know, like this situation happens to a lot of filmmakers after their first success is that they sign this three picture deal or two picture deal. And it really is like, it doesn't end up helping them. You know, we, we were like, oh my God, a three picture deal. That's awesome. But really it's just, they have you, they have your next three ideas and they can, you know, they can, and the, the way, you know, sometimes they work it where like they, and I'm sure you guys are familiar, like they you know, say, oh, yeah, we want to do it, and then they just kind of slowly, just incrementally, like, produce it, like, very slowly. That's yeah. what like, they wouldn't sign the distribution agreement. And really, it was kind of like, it was kind of them um, trying to get us to do, you know, another Blair Witch movie. So I was going to say, it was kind of the carrot on the end of the yeah. stick. To... And, we, and we really wanted to make Heart of Love, you know, and that's what they kept constantly dangling. <laughs> well, you know, if you do this, we'll let you do that. Um, but, you know, they supported us. I mean, they, you know, gave us some some uh, development money and, you know, we were fully on and uh, that's when we started writing the script. And then that, then, so, so we brought Dave back and then Dan and I kind of got together and started coming up with the idea for Heart of Love. When you teed it up a little bit uh, at the beginning of the last episode, but uh, how would you, because this is one of the most insane, or I'd say easily the most insane script Steve and I have read for this podcast. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm just like, I'm curious how you would try uh, to describe it? Not even describe the plot, but just like describe <laughs> its tone. Because um, in, in my, I wouldn't have said this by the time I got to the end of the script, but um, uh, a friend asked me when I noted what we were doing for another episode, and I was like ten pages in, and I'm like, this script's crazy. And he's like, how would you describe it? And I'm like, it's almost like if Harmony Kareen were trying to make like Airplane or The Naked <laughs> Gun. Yeah, uh, no, but, it was. It was. Um... I mean, it was basically just whatever stupid shit we could find, we could come up with, um, and and the whole thing was like the tr like the uh, for like the gags were the most like it was just basically like make a make like a skeleton of a story and then just pack it with stupid gags, you know, and childish humor and um, all kinds of stuff. So that was kind of the thing, man. It, it, it was like. The story was just, uh, you know, it ended up being kind of like a, you know, Jesus Christ kind of, you know, the the chosen one kind of, you know, story. It had like a lot of spirituality to it, but it didn't start out that way. It was basically, <laughs> how do we fit as many shit jokes into the script as we can, you know? And what was kind of, um, I guess, to give, further give people an idea of tone, 
Uh, what do you feel that at the time you guys were kind of drawing from like other comedy that you liked? It was like, um, it was like hard R, you know, Zucker brothers, you know, like airplane and make a gun and hard R Monty Python, which Monty Python's kind of R anyway, but like, you know, it was kind of, and then like Saturday night live with, you know, again, with a big, hard R and just being able to do whatever the hell we wanted to do. Um, and we, you know, we had this whole like marketing campaign plan for it and um, these crazy trailers that we were going to do. And I wish we would have been able to do it because it would have, just to get the reaction from people. But um, I, I, our whole thing was like, how do we like, you know, go from like Blair Witch to this and how do we like exploit it? Like exploit the idea that we're like, completely out of our minds and just <laughs> and, and you know and, and the idea that like the movie's not it's just like a you know i i don't know it, it, it was so that's kind of like the, the the tone of it was just us coming up with gags and us trying to put it into a story that you know made as much you know that made some sense but also was just a uh you know a uh a framework for stupid jokes, you know, stupid gags. Well, and to clue the listeners in just a little bit, so you know, what we're talking about um, the movie. And I think part of when I was first, I was just like, what is this movie even really about? It's a little bit almost like Tropic Thunder ended up doing. It opens with a series of kind of like fake trailers, uh, yeah. ones for a documentary, or not a documentary. Yeah, a documentary. And then yeah, there's, it's like an Indian film and called yeah, The and and there's one, The Wrath of the Gladiators. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's just like, again, it was like like trying to, like we wanted to do like black and white and have the film skip. And um, we wanted it to be like, a, like almost like the, the, the like, like almost like a, somebody had like taken a couple of some different movies and spliced them together and just showed them, showed them as a movie, you know? Um, and then, and all those things were just like little skit ideas. Like, you know, imagine if we, if there was like an Indian movie about, you know, a, a boot, you know, about a car boot. Um, <laughs> oh, just that's kinda, right. That's right. You know, like, a, like an indie, an indie film, you know. So we were just kind of like, you know, riffing on that. And we always loved like the, the Bill Murray, you know, uh, Hercules, like, you know, that rock is too large. I could, you know, get a smaller yeah. Um, so that was like the gladiator thing was just like, uh, you know, like kind of just try to, just try to take that and just kind of mess, but it was just, it was just us messing around, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, with, with the leverage that we had and the momentum that we had with Blair Witch, like people actually took us seriously, you know, um, <laughs> but the whole thing, not that we were not going to, that we weren't taking ourselves seriously. We we're, you know, we wanted to make this movie and we wanted to, you know, it to go out, come out or whatever, but the, the, the whole exercise and like, like again, like having people say "Heart of Love," like the whole thing was like almost like a for Dan and me and and some of the hacks and guys. It was like just like let's see how far we can get away with this, you know. See how you know how much morality we can bring. And, and well, and that was why I was saying, especially because when we come out of the fake trailers and we meet our heroes, a young guy named Humphrey who has these recurring dreams that are like fake commercials and fake trailers with the one yeah. connecting piece that he always sees this winged heart how do you pronounce the i think it's called pakwala dill or something like that um yeah that's basically the heart of love he keeps yeah. screaming about this <laughs> heart of love um but when i described it as like a harmony korean thing because then we meet his family he lives in this like uh, yeah. kind of trailer and his dad is having an affair with their goat and yeah, his mom it's... is like a what's eating gilbert great mom who's like bedridden and yeah, yeah. No, it's there's uh, also a recurring theme I love. I think when I first learned, I'm like, oh, I see what they're trying to do with this script. Actually, is when he's gonna leave, like his mom dies, and he's like, I'm gonna go off on this adventure, and he walks away from his home, and then just a missile hits it, and it blows yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, just like yeah, we we just wanted to blow up. We wanted to make like a little miniature house and blow it to shit, you know. Um, but yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's, I, I, we wanted it to be like, what the hell is going on here? You know what I mean? Um, so that, the, you know, the yeah. town bully is a guy named Jimbo who's in a, yeah, wheelchair. Who's in a wheelchair. And then uh, just a quick version of the story for the, the listeners is Humphrey ends up, because he, he sees an ad for this kind of like mega church, semi-cult 
which I think is called the heart of love. They're Lovians. The Lovians, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so he goes there and he like joins them and is kind of like ends up there's sort of this prophecy because they worship this guy, uh, Karish Karinga, I think is his name. Yeah, yeah. They they've discovered his like mummified remains and sort of resurrected his religion, and they have a prophecy that there's like a crystal, this guy's crystal heart is somewhere out in the world. And if you find it and bring it back and put it back in the mummy, then you kind of get ultimate power. And the guy who's running the religion, uh, whose name is uh, Mahatnamus or something. Yeah. I'm bungling a lot of these pronunciations. He wants to be the chosen one, even though he's kind of turning the heart of love into like a brand and marketing thing and humphrey very quickly you realize he is the chosen one and the heart of love's like local scholar named godfrey he and them go off around the world to find this crystal heart and (laughs) i love that jimbo the uh wheelchair bully now in the future as we've gone forward in time has become some sort of like international ninja assassin and gets yeah, sent. He's like a, yeah, he's like a wheelchair assassin. Like you would never, you know, you never think that a guy in a wheelchair could be an assassin, but sure, of course. Uh, but it is a truly insane script. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and, 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 yeah, and you're like trying to normalize it there. But that's what I'm saying. Nor- like lots of times we kind of go through and sort of give a vague plot beat by plot beat thing, but I'm like, I don't even, this sort of goes beyond that because just no, it's not. plot I mean, it, is not even really what's happening. No, it's it's going one place and it completely shifts, you know, which is cool because this is not one of those movies where you'd be like, I know what's going to happen at the end, (laughs) you know, because it just keeps shifting. And it's like, what is this madness? But it's very entertaining. Yeah, yeah. Our whole thing was like to do something that um, that we wouldn't have been, you know, that, that, you know, we had this opportunity and we're like, let's just freaking go for it. If it fails, it fails. And we can always go back to do another Blair Witch movie. We can, you know, but, but just the idea, like we knew that, we knew that movie was going to be, you know, controversial and, and or like people are going to be saying, what the hell is this? It's terrible. It's a worst movie ever or whatever. But we knew that, especially on video, we knew that people were going to be like, you know, there's going to be a fan, you know, cult following of this movie. Oh, for, for sure. sure. Kind of like, <laughs> you've never seen anything like it. You know what I mean? That's our, and our, that was our big thing too, is like, we wanted to like do something that, you know, that nobody had ever done before. At least we had not seen in a while, you know? So that's what, that's where the, that's where it came from, you know? Well, let's walk a little bit through, cause like, the funny thing is I feel like if a friend sent me this script, I would just be like, no one's going to give you the money to make no. this movie the only way you could get the money for this is if you just had some huge hit but you yeah. guys were actually in that place uh and like you said you you, you kind of realized that the studio was just stringing you along trying to get you to do more blair witch movies but i'm wondering what was their reaction when you actually gave them the movie like did they have notes what were their thoughts Dude, on it they were like um i remember like the the uh the uh, we had like a conference call and they had like a you know they put us on the you know co- the teleconferencing and they're in New York we we're in Orlando and and they were just like we don't know what the hell you guys are doing <laughs> but we love it and we want you know we want to support you or whatever you know they were kind of I mean I, I mean I they were definitely using it as leverage but I think deep down inside I think you know they they wanted us to make this movie you know because we really wanted to make it. Um, so uh, I think they were kind of like, I'm not sure what the hell this is, but let's just do it. We'll you know support you as much as possible. And then, dude, man, we we um, you know we because uh, artisan I, and I can't really remember the deal, but they they were gonna only put a, a certain amount of the money in, and then they wanted everything else to be, um, you know, we we were kind of responsible for the rest of it. So we made a deal with a, a foreign uh, selling. Uh, not a distributor, but a selling agent, sales agent, like one of the big ones, one of the guys that did, that uh, was responsible for Blair Witch. And um, we went to Cannes like the following year after Blair Witch. And Dan and I like stood on this little stage in this like meeting room, like this, you know, kind of like a conference, like a big, you know, meeting room um, in the hotel. And we literally pitched for like an hour this that what you guys read 
Like we pitched that. And um, I wish we got a video of those people's faces, but man, again, people didn't know what the hell, but because of Blair Witch, they were like, we're willing to roll the dice with these guys, you know? And um, so we actually ended up raising um, pretty much, mo you know, mo I mean, eventually we realized we needed a little bit more, but we ended up raising from just pre-sales almost 100% of the budget. So we were ready to go. Um, and then, you know, uh, then we went back and started writing the script, that, you know, like really writing the script and, you know, and then it just kind of, you know, I was, it I, slowly fell apart from there. But that's, you know, it's a little I didn't realize there was no script at this point. So it was just something you had described. No, yeah, we had like an outline. Gotcha. And um, we, because, you know, and we, so we went to Canada, we just kind of pitched the outline um, from memory, which was kind of like amazing. Uh, but Dan and I kind of just, you know, we had people laughing and people <laughs> looking at us weird. And, and I think just the energy that we had and the cockiness and just kind of like, again, it was part of like this, the whole thing was kind of like a, almost like a Andy Kaufman thing, but not really like part of our thing was just like, let's just try to push this, you know, let's just see how ridiculous we can get with this movie and see if the, you know, people will go along with it, you know? So when we walked out of Cannes with all that money, we were, again, we we're like, we were flabbergasted. We're like, oh my God, I can't believe we, you know, we're actually going to make this movie. <laughs> um, and uh, so, yeah, man, once we got the script, we started, you know, we got, we hired a casting director and, um, we started, you know, meeting people. I remember we, uh, during Blair Witch, we went to visit uh, Skywalker Ranch, you know, because we're both, you know, we were all, you know, Star Wars fans. And I can um, see your room that you're Yeah, we, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, a little bit. And we ended up, <laughs> so we ended up at Skywalker Ranch for some reason. We were like, oh my God, we got to, um, and we actually, we went to ILM and toured like the old original ILM at, when they, they were in that strip mall. Um and we were like, oh, my God, we, you know, and they were like, oh, yeah, you know, your next movie, you know, we would love to do it. And we're like, oh, my God, yeah. So, you know, we were like, I remember the meeting, like, we sent them the script, ILM the script, and, like, we sent them this script, and they <laughs> broke it down. And I remember, like, asking us questions, like, you know, like, Mechanical Man, like that robot, they're like, so what do you guys, you know, what do you guys imagine? You imagine, like, uh, you know, is it going to be CG, or are we going to do, like, you know, uh, you know, what do you want to build a real, you know, thing? And we're like, well, we're just thinking like kind of a cardboard box painted uh, silver <laughs> and then like some, uh, you know, some like dry, dryer tubes, you know, like, like, you know, duct tubes for arms. And uh, so we, and all the effects were like, well, we kind of want it to look like, you know, we want it to look crappy. We wanted to look like, a, you know, all the, all those effects were basically like just, you know, parody of, of effects. And, at the end of the meeting, they were like, you know, we maybe you guys should go with somebody else. Yeah, um, you know, it's not really what we do, and we were like, yeah, I think I think you guys are right, you know. Uh, but that was that was like a you know stupid moment during this thing of like pitching I am this thing, you know. I should also know for your listeners, I forgot for a second that we're a podcast. When I referred to uh, the room Eduardo was in, he kind of has wall-to-wall -wall Star Wars things going on back there. Yeah. For those who can't know. see it. Yeah, because that's what I was wondering when I was reading the script. I was like, man, what were the reactions to this script? <laughs> yeah, what? yeah. It was, it was, um, you know, and the thing is, is that we once, like, I think it was one of these things where, like, people didn't know exactly what the hell we had in mind, but because of Blair Witch and because of our energy and we were so sure of ourselves, they were like, yeah, we'll just, you know, we'll just go. Um, but, like, you know, you know, certain actors would, you know, read the script and they would come back to us and, you know, people were actually liking it, like, in a weird way, you know. Um, so, you know, you know, who knows what the hell they were looking at. But, you know, for us, it was just like, again, it was just like how, how um, we couldn't believe we were doing it. You know, and every step of the way, we're like, oh, my God, I can't believe we're going to have this, you know, just the shit that we this, like the Bee Gees, you know, we're like, I have the Bee Gees in the movie, you know, like just stuff, like, you know, just all these stupid things that we had planned we were going to do, you know, and then we started scouting, we're figuring out like, where, where are we going to shoot this? Um, and, you know, it was like a, it was like a regular production for a while. It was amazing. Did you kind of have a, were you piecing together a hypothetical cast? Yeah, I mean, we, we went, like, 
um, we were going to have uh, Jim Belushi as Jimbo, like a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah. With a mullet. And, and I remember, you know, uh, meeting Jim Belushi. He took us to like the hard, uh, is the hard rock cafe that, that they call The House of Blues. House of Blues. Yeah, they all own it, whatever. And um, he put, took, took us to his private room. Really nice guy, man. Just like really generous and really cool. And he was like, all right, after about an hour with us, he's like, all right, you know, I haven't read the script, but I'll do it because you guys are funny as shit. You guys are cracking me up. I'll, we'll do it. So it was like that. And we, we met with um, Jenny McCarthy was going to play Charlene, like the lead, you know, because um, we, we really loved her. Um, Wait, and what is, because uh, her kind of, her character flaw, if you could call it, is that she's from a small town. What do they yeah. make there? They, no, they, it's like a fertilizer factory or fertilizer. something. Fertilizer. So she still yeah. stinks all these always, years later. Yeah, it smells. It's just, you know. Yeah. And um, I love at the end that when Humphrey, uh, spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> becomes the chosen one and returns the crystal heart to the mummy yeah. and now has ultimate power, he like cures her. Oh, your problem. Yeah, it's like beautiful ending. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like officer and a gentleman, like, you know, uh, Richard Gere coming into the shit factory and pulling Charlene out. Um, oh, but sorry, you're saying Jenny McCarthy. Yeah, we had, so we had Jenny McCarthy was going to do Charlene. I mean, at least we were talking about it. She had agreed to it, and um, and then we met um, Chris Kattan from Sun Night Live was going to play Godry, and then um, uh, we met with like uh, Sinbad was going to play the um, the carnival, the bad guy, the carnival guy, like the I don't know what his name is. Uh, the guy it was, was like scared. mob. Yeah, whatever the, the, the fake the fake prophet, he was gonna play that. Uh, we oh, that would have been great. Around, oh my god, <laughs> yeah. We were also we're also toying around with like William Shatner being the uh, that guy. Um, you know, we, he was he was a little younger back then, but um, um would been funny. I, I will say, I made a note of it. Uh, Moto Manus, I think is his name. Yeah, is a great final line after he is defeated, which while crying, he says, all I wanted was to rule the world. Is that yeah. so bad? I can see yeah. Shatner saying that. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly, man. We were writing for William Shatner. Um, and, uh, and, you know, again, and we had, um, and then um, we were like literally negotiating the deal with Crispin Glover to play Humphrey. Oh, wow. <laughs> So, that dude, you so can good. imagine the kind of fucking movie that we were going to make. You well, know, like, like it was just going to be, you know. And then we were going to, we were actually going to reach, you know, all those cameos at the beginning. We we're going to get, you know, Don Knotts and Ruth Buzzy and Eric Estrada. And, you know, we we're going to get. We were, yeah, you know, I wrote and, that and, down. And, you also had Rudy Ray Moore in there. Oh, yeah, Rudy Ray Moore, obviously. All our. What? Rudy Ray Moore as Ronald Reagan, which is hilarious. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, it was just us. The uh, we were, you know, we grew up on television, and we were just. It was just a lot of like making fun of like the, you know, how shows started and stuff. But it was just kind of like outrageous characters, obviously. Um, but we, you know, it was, it was kind of like, um, you know, for us all the time, we we're just trying to make shit up and make it stupider and funnier and whatever. We're just kind of, it was kind of, the script was constantly changing. You know? Well, what it made me think of, because uh, again, it like, it seems like the kind of movie that probably would not have been a huge hit, but would have been, got an instant cult following. It reminded me yeah. of Alex Winter's movie Freaked. I don't yeah. know if you ever saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is, has a classic arc of a cult movie where nobody saw it critics yeah. hated it when it came out and before um quarantine started i went to the egyptian theater out here which holds almost 700 people for a completely sold out screening of freaked so yeah it's a cool movie i mean yeah the, the, I, I that we were that's what we were thinking is that you know people are gonna go to the movies and go what the fuck is this <laughs> and then later on you would be able to you know rent it and then and then that I, we were like that's when people are gonna be smoking weed and watching this movie and just you know doing stupid you know whatever you know so we thought that you know if we and our whole thing was if we pack enough crap in it some but you know people are gonna like at least little bits of it you know what i mean so well, another cool. actually i think my favorite scene in it speaking of smoking weed which is it is 
don't remember exactly how it's set up earlier in one of his like fantasies, but basically the concept of, you know, puff, puff, pass, of pa- passing the joint around, yeah. not bogarting it. Yeah. Uh, is that he, they've in like a, like a bunch of cannibal villagers or something. And they're put to this test that no one's ever passed before, but yeah. ultimately you realize the test is they're just smoking a joint in a circle and no one's ever passed it quickly yeah. enough. But the yeah, fact yeah. that Humphrey just takes a hit and passes it like amazes everyone. And now, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, yeah, that was the whole thing. Like all these visions that he's having somehow, you know, help him out in his, in his stupid journey. Um, but yeah, it was just, yeah, that, that was the, the weed smoking tribe was, uh, yeah, that was another genius uh, invention of ours. Uh, and then to reach the uh, painful part of the story, uh, how did it all fall apart? Um, uh, you know, it was, it was, you know, and this is like a whole different thing, but um, Dan and I started, like the collaboration was getting harder and harder. Um like Blair Witch was a really easy collaboration up until the end. We started editing and the pressure really started kind of building, um, you know, him and I, everybody had a disagreement about where we were going, but you know, it ended up pretty, you know, we ended all ended up in a pretty good place. But then after Blair Witch blew up um, and we came back and started, you know, thinking about what we were going to do, it just, you know, naturally we all kind of started wandering, you know, we had kind of a wandering eye as far as like what, what is our future and this and that. Um, and, um, and we all kind of scattered, like instead of all us trying to, you know, concentrate on one thing, Greg went off to do TV stuff and, um, you know, we kind of ended up doing Heart of Love, you know, kind of started trying to do Heart of Love on our own. And, um, uh, Dan and I were just got to the point where we're just like not butting heads, but just not like not. It wasn't the easy collaboration that we had on Blair Witch. And then our friend Dave, who was involved, was kind of stuck in the middle. Not that we were fighting, but there was like no, there was we were kind of leaderless because um, you know neither, neither of us was ready to like take charge over the other one. You know what I mean? Like we were both yeah. kind of like trying to give each other space or whatever. But it was you know it was just a weird situation, man. And um, uh, and then our, you know again I think if I think if we would have like once we got the money from Can I think if we would have like um, got going and start you know like if if Artisan would have been a little more cooperative I think we would have gotten going and gotten momentum but even after we sold all the pre-sales at Can um, Artisan was still kind of dragging their feet and we couldn't get any of our money until Artisan signed their distribution agreement. So, you know, we were kind of just stuck and we got stuck for too long. Like we ended up, um, kind of in a holding pattern for a long time. We ended up like story. I mean, we ended up, we ended up storyboarding the entire movie and then, just to see if it worked. And then we ended up doing like animatics for the whole movie and then doing like voices and music. And we ended up, we edited the storyboard into a feature length movie. So there actually is the heart of love oh, wow. actually exists as this like animatic with me playing Humphrey and, you know, us doing effects and, and, you know, music and, you know, the whole movie, you know, cause we just want, cause we had time. We were like, this is, go into it and see where we're going to have problems or whatever. So that's how far we took it, man. We were like, we were like, we were in pre-production for way too long. And then, um, uh, you know, we also had like a, like, again, we were just a little too scattered and uh, we were kind of rudderless for a while. And then um, uh, 9-11 happened then the distributors, the four distributors were already kind of like wondering like what the hell's going on and why haven't we started production and this and that, you know, threatening to pull their money and all that stuff. And then 9-11 happened and, you know, the entire system, you know, everything collapsed. So every, so after that, everybody was like, we're, you know, we're, everybody's abandoning the movie. We were kind of, we wanted to abandon it. I mean, it was just, everybody it was a kind of a, you know, like a Titanic, you know, we had hit an iceberg. I think a lot of things kind of hit icebergs on 9-11, uh, a lot of things that were being developed. So for some, it just, 
it just happened that the, that that moment was kind of like the culminating of you know moment, and you know it was something that the whole world you know obviously suffered. Yeah. You know. And uh, and that was it. Everybody's like, all right, we're just gonna walk away from each other. You know, whatever money we spent, we spent, and that's gonna be you know the end of that. And um, and that really not only like ended like heart of love but ended the Haxon partnership you know the original five guys that made the Blair Witch movie the original one we all kind of went our separate ways um and then came back a couple a few years later to do probe you know a few of us um but you know we never we were never kind of the team that we were before Dan moved to LA I moved to Maryland um you know we we're all we were all in different cities doing our different projects and stuff and uh, and that was kind of the end of Hacks and Films and then you know Greg and I stayed on on Hacks and Films and him and I Greg Hale and I are the only original members left of the you know the team that made Blair Witch um, so that was you know the short that was the short version of why you know Heart of Love ended but it was you know it, it was almost like everything that went right on Blair Witch went wrong on Heart of Love you know what I mean. Yeah. And uh, and it was just, you know, I mean, you know, it was a really frustrating time. But again, it was like, it was pretty fun while it lasted. You know what I mean? Um, How did the animatic turn out? It actually turned out really great. I mean, you know, I don't know how, you know, if you could sit through it, but <laughs> yeah. it, really helped, it really helped us out as far as like, you know, sh trimming things and just kind of like, all right, this is not working as well as we thought and just kind of like, and really just kind of troubleshooting before we started shooting, you know, as far as like, you know, what was working or wasn't working. So it turned out pretty good. I mean, I don't know if anybody would really want to see it um, again, <laughs> but, you know, maybe I, I, I keep threatening people that I'm going to put it together and, and show it, <laughs> put it out there. But uh, I've been wanting to do like a heart of love um like a Facebook page, like a group page. Cause dude, we did a lot. I mean, there's a lot of stuff done for heart of love, man. Like we hired like a whole team to build cause we we're going to have this big, huge web presence. You know, we're going to basically do what we did on Blair Witch, but we we're going to amp it up. And, um, so we, there's so much like, there's, there's so much material that was just made for the, you know, for the marketing of, of, of Harder Love. Like, we have this, like, a lovey and workout video where, um, <laughs> you know, it's like this guy showing, you know, it's it's just so, it's really, really silly. Um, and it's funny for about five minutes. Um, but, it, you know, lasts half an hour. So, you know, we're just trying to fill stuff and trying to stay busy while dealing with the whole, you know, debacle that was, you know, the whole kind of, like you were saying, the whole kind of dangling of the carrot that, that the artisan kept doing to us. Do you think they were doing that by any chance because of like not working on Blair Witch 2 by any chance or do we? Yes. I, yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I don't think it got, I don't think it's anything like personal, but I think there was a level of like, you know, you guys didn't play ball with us completely. So we're not going to play ball with you. But I think a lot of it just had to do that. They wanted us you know, they want us to cooperate and do what, what they want, you know, they wanted us to do what the movie that they wanted us to make. Um, and, you know, and I've heard, you know, the first look deal thing is that's, you know. It's kind of how it thing. works, really, is there. Yeah, that's what they do. They basically say, what movie, you know, what do you want to do? And you say, I want to do this one. They say, okay, let's do it. And you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. And then you know, at least for us, they dragged their feet and then they were like, well, we actually, we, what about this movie? You know, why don't you do this movie and then we'll do Heart of Love. And for us, that was just like, you know, it was part of like their, you know, we were already kind of pissed off that they were dragging their feet. So for us, it was kind of like a little bit of a slap in the face, even though I think we should have taken that deal, you know, as I said in the previous episode. Um, but, um, but still, man, you know, uh, you know, I... I the, the Heart of Love time was like a really great creative time for me, even though, because it was like, as you, guys, as you can tell by the script, we weren't taking ourselves seriously at all. And I think from going from Blair Witch, was, which was like about kids being killed and people being lost in the woods and, a, you know, demonic, possibly demonic spirit and, you know, all these bad things happening, you know, Heart of Love was like kind of exactly what, what I needed, you know. And when did Manable uh surface 
Manimal was like, I mean, I've been wanting to make a, a big Bigfoot movie since I was like a little kid. I mean, that's actually like the only real horror kind of movie that I've been, that I th- thought of my, my making before, you know, Blair Witch. Well, uh, and um, is there, what do you think it is about Bigfoot? Because I would agree as far as uh, I also love Bigfoot movies. Like when you were talking about, we were emailing and about other things you had, and you're like, well, I also have this Bigfoot script. I was immediately like, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, Bigfoot was like, you know, like the Pat- Patterson-Gimlin film is like the first bit of found footage, like for me, like without that little 15-second clip that, you know, played, you know, it, you know, they played all over the place when it came when out. And that's the kind of iconic one out by the river where Bigfoot yeah. like turns and looks back. Yeah. yeah, like that was total found footage, man. And yeah. that's really where I never Blair even was. thought about that in connection. Yeah, that, that's really where Blair was for both me and Dan, that's where found footage was born. Like the idea of like, holy shit, that's really Bigfoot. And they caught it on film. Oh my God. You know, and then obviously you're like, ah, maybe it's a guy in a suit, but no, 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 it's really Bigfoot. <laughs> so the power of that kind of, you know, just made me a Bigfoot fan. And I was just super, I was young. I was like, you know, less than 10 years old when all that stuff kind of Bigfoot craze in the seventies was happening. And I really believe that there was a creature and, you know, we had like woods in the back of our apartments and we were, I thought that there was a Bigfoot pack there. Like I was, and, and so I, I started watching Bigfoot documentaries, anything that was, you know, search, in search of episode of Bigfoot. I loved in search of I, that Bigfoot episode is my favorite, um, but it scared the crap out of me. And I, something about it, like I just love being scared by Bigfoot and same thing with aliens, you know? So I, you know, when I, after Blair Witch, you know, I was, I hadn't come up with anything, really any horror movie ideas. And, um, I was driving home one day and it was snowing and at night in my house here in Frederick and there was a train going by and this, I loved how the light was the, the, you know, the light was, the snow was hitting the, the light of the train. It was going forward. And I was like, holy shit, that would make a, that's such a great image. So I started coming up with the idea of like this train that, gets derailed, you know, back in the, you know, 1800s and they're, you know, it's derailed by something. There's a tree on the, on the, you know, on the tracks, the, tr- the train hit, you know, the movie opens with this huge derailment. I was going to say that whole sequence, I, I would, to give people an idea, I'd put it up there. It's like a, the beginning of a final destination movie, you know, where yeah. it's this long, we set up all these different characters, I guess, just to give people the briefest of setup, it takes place in 1872 in Northern Utah. So like just post civil war. Yeah. Uh, and there's all these different people on this train. There's like military guys. Um, there's just kind of regular passengers. There's the crew members. Um, I'd say that like, race relations is actually a big part of the movie. So in the back of the train, there's a bunch of African-Americans. And then, yeah, they hit this tree and it actually kind of reminded me a little bit because it starts with a conductor. It's like the beginning of Poseidon adventure where they see the wave coming and whatever Leslie Nielsen says there. Um, But then it's just like this great scene where we see it affecting everyone. And it's really gnarly violence of just the train crunching and killing people. Yeah. So and then right yeah, up. and then the kind of cool part where the the army's Native American guide has gone out to the front of the train and is like looking at the tree and realizing the tree's like not close enough to the forest line that yeah. it could have fallen over and something must you you realize something pulled it there on purpose. Yeah, and then you slowly realize that like these this like you know tribe of like a clan of of Bigfoot of Sasquatches. You know, every day they watch this like thing go by, and they're like, "Wait, there's probably things inside that we can eat or whatever." And they're like, "Well, let's just fucking put a tree in front of it, <laughs> and maybe we can eat what's inside." So basically, it's just like the 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 Bigfoot just set a trap for these people, and they slowly start picking them off, you know, one by one, basically. Uh, I was gonna say. Uh... I was going to say that what I like about it is that it's deadly serious. It's not deadly serious. I'd say it's kind of the tone reminded me a little bit of like aliens or John Carpenter's yeah. the thing that yeah. kind of like big cast dealing with this. Uh, and like a 13th warrior vibe too with it. That's why I loved it. I was like, it's like, it's like such a badass Bigfoot movie. I, I'm like shocked. Nothing like this has like come out. It's so well, 
Ooh. And that's why I say what I really liked reading it is I've always liked, I mean, I'd say I was more of the Harry and the Hendersons generation and then slowly found like scary Bigfoot movies. And I don't know what it was, but something in like the late aughts, early teens, uh, there was kind of a resurgence of Sasquatch interest, you know, like the, I don't remember it was Slim Jim. There's some jerky advertising campaign had Bigfoot in it. We were seeing lots of Bigfoot movies, including one that I think is pretty fun called Abominable, which is basically Alfred Hitchcock's rear window. But instead of Raymond Burr, uh, the guy trapped in his house sees, you know, Bigfoot killing people in the cabin next door. But for the most part, all the Bigfoot movies were very tongue in cheek. Like it was kind of the idea that you couldn't really take Bigfoot seriously. Uh, yeah. So that this was cool that you basically were. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because for me, like, you know, the, the, the Bigfoot that I grew up with was scary as crap, you know. So then Harry and the Hendersons came out. And, you know, I love Harry and the Hendersons. I mean, anything, really anything with Bigfoot I love. And I love those, uh, you know, Slim Jim or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I love those ads. Um, yeah. But for me, it was like the when I first started watching Bigfoot, like, you know, the, the all the screen adaptations, like anytime you saw them on TV, whether it was like Six Million Dollar Man or whatever, there was like something off about the the way they shot it, and 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 I always thought like, man, it would be cool to do a Bigfoot movie that had like realist, like you know, with like top of the line effects people, and um, you know, like I was thinking like somebody like Stan Winston or somebody, you know, some kind of thing like that, build the suit and have people actually in the suit. And then also the way you shot it, you know, you have to shoot it a certain way so that they don't, you know, it's they don't look like people in suits, you know. Um, Did you so have was, kind of a basic design in mind? Um, I mean, you know, we there's, I mean, we did a lot of work on Manable Walk. Like we did, um, you know, a bunch of you know uh, drafts, and it was actually option for a while. And um, it's kind of one of these stiff scripts that's been around, you know, gone around and. Uh, uh, the design was for us, just, I mean, I've always thought that the, you know, Bigfoot is just kind of like a missing link, you know, so, you know, half human, half, you know, animal, obviously taller than us, um, you know, and especially the here, like Harry from Big, you know, from, from uh, head to foot. But I think in the, in the woods, like in the winter, uh, I was thinking maybe some gray, like they have some kind of camouflage, like white, you know, so so it's not like a brown, like they're all, not all brown, you know. Um, but for me, I, you know, I kind of wanted to like, you know, approach it like a, if like, okay, if, if, if there was this thing called Sasquatch, and you know, and there's every, you know, pretty much every Native American tribe has some kind of Sasquatch type legend. So my whole thing was like, well, if, if you know Bigfoot not, might not be around now because we might have killed it off or it's you know hiding or whatever, but if 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 it had been, you know, back in the day when we were just exploring this country, if there had been Bigfoot, a lot of Bigfoot people would have run into them, you know. And my whole thing was like, well, maybe there was like this whole, you know, kind of not a civilization, but there were groups of you know like little herds of of you know of Bigfoot uh, of Sasquatch, and. Um, so, you know, for me, it was just kind of like, you know, that's where I wanted, I wanted to see, like, what these things, what, what kind of, you know, what kind of, like, realistically tra- treat them as, like, real animals. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and build the story from there. And, you know, and then also kind of build the whole human element of, you know, the, the segregation and the racism and just kind of, like, I, I always love movies where, like, you know, opposites people, like, people that are enemies have to work together to, you know, fight a common enemy. And that was kind of, like, the whole point of it is, like, the idea that, like, there's all these different social classes on the train. You know, there's, you know, the, the like you were saying, the soldiers, the African-Americans, which are, you know, have just been emancipated. Um, and, like mountain uh, men. With yeah, there's, the like, mountain men. They're basically just, like, outlaw guys who just go around hunting and shit. Uh, there's all the military guys, you know, some smart, some really dumb. Um, and then there's, like, civilians, you know, not, you know, there's, you know. So for me, it was, like, you know, how do, how do you get all these people that would never work together to work together to, like, fight a common enemy? I mean, I've always loved those kinds of stories. So that was really, that's really what, you know, Manable is all about. You know, the idea of, like, you know, the, the, you know, the last three characters are, like, the, you know, the Native American, the hunter, which, who's, like, the biggest kind of asshole, and then, and then mm-hmm. African-American guy, you know what I mean? Um, so, you know, I just kind of, 
you know, I was just intrigued by that. And my the writer, the guy I wrote it with, Mark Eaton, you know, brought up brought in a lot of really cool um, elements. Um, you know, but the but main thing for me was like, you know, I wanted to see a cool Bigfoot, you know, on screen, you know. And did this like did this even get close to made anywhere, or were you just kind of shopping it around? No, I mean, you know, it. I mean, I think if I had written this, if I had written Manable, like right after Blair Witch, I think there would have somebody would have given me like you know forty million bucks possibly to do it. Um, but I had waited too long, you know, and and also like you know I didn't know that there was like this serious um uh like negative it's like like a negative energy towards any bigfoot projects in hollywood like, <laughs> it's just, you don't you don't do you know and that and i always wonder like why are bigfoot movies all like these indie movies and it's because like none of the studios want to make bigfoot for whatever reason you know they just they don't believe that they can be made you know smartly or whatever but the 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 script like as far as all you know the uh, the all my unproduced scripts that i have like Manable Walk. It was actually called Manable Walk uh, originally, and then we changed it to Manable. Just to is that? It. Did you get that name from actual mythology? Yeah, yeah. It's like a. There was. It was. It's a na- name of one of the um, tribes called the, you know, the Bigfoot or whatever yeah. in that area. And um, we, uh, you know, I think you know we could have gotten it done, um, but. You know, it was just too expensive, and the Bigfoot was kind of just like nobody was going to do that. But there was, you know, some pretty big producers that you know, you know, known producers that had that optioned it, and uh, we rewrote it a bunch of times. And they were like really, there were some people that were a bunch of different you know, kind of groups that were really interested in it. But I think selling it to you know the higher ups, the guys that write the checks, was kind of impossible. And actually, it's when after we kind of had our you know, we tried to sell Manable and it didn't happen. Um, I wrote another Bigfoot movie, you know, less, you know, like between five and $10 million and um, uh, found footage, but kind of mixed found footage. And uh, we, they, uh, we actually, there's like multiple companies that were interested in doing it and legendary of all people like wanted to buy it. Like they were like, we want it, you know, we're sending the paperwork over or whatever. We were like, Oh my God, we're going to make up this Bigfoot movie with legendary. It's going to be awesome. And then legendary kind of sent it up the, the flagpole to Warner brothers and Warner brothers was like, nah, we're not going to do a Bigfoot movie. Are you crazy? <laughs> so, you know, for whatever reason, and we were, and we're, it wasn't going to be that much money. I mean, it wasn't like Godzilla money or like, you know, the kind of money that, you know, the, the you know, legendary usually spends. It was just going to be kind of a, a low, much, you know, maybe $10 million at the most. But even that, man, like they just, they just couldn't see a Bigfoot movie like, you know, or Bigfoot being taken seriously as a horror, you know, uh, creature for whatever freaking reason, you know? It's too bad. Did you get a note or anything by any chance to, like, change the time period or the form of transportation? No, no. I mean, the I think what people really dug about it was that it was a period piece and you could, like, um, you know, you could kind of examine things you know, like, like all good kind of horror movies do, like, you know, you, you can kind of examine kind of so society and, and kind of, um, you know, things that are happening in society or that happened in society with, you know, without it being like a social drama. So we were, our whole thing was like to disguise, you know, a, kind of a social message into this, uh, you know, into this uh, horror movie, you know. Um, but no, I mean, nobody, I mean, I think, you know, eventually we were kind of like, you know, can we lower the budget by making it, you know, by changing the time period? But I think that was kind of like the, you know, that's what I think made the movie special. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, it was kind of like we, you know, um, yeah, it, it, it never kind of, it, it, we never got serious about it. And Steve, you said you had another thing you wanted to ask about. Oh yeah, I read about a project a while back called Faceless. You had that sounded interesting. Yeah, um, man. I mean, I've you know, there's so many damn projects. <laughs> Faceless was this um, this uh, script that this this uh, my, one of my professors from uh, UCF wrote. We wrote it together. She wrote it. You know, kind of. I, I kind of helped her with notes, and she wrote it. Uh, but um, 
but it was like this really like low budget little movie that I wanted to make uh, after Blair Witch, and it just never worked out. But it was a cool one. It was basically this. The, uh, there's and I I can never uh, pronounce the name of, but there's like this condition where like you for you your brain can't um, identify faces. Oh. Like you they call speak. it face blindness. I'm sure yeah, it has a real blindness. name. <laughs> it's got like a longer scientific yeah. name. Yeah, face blindness. So we were like, man, it would be fucking, you know, so scary to be face blind after like a crime where you don't know who did this to you, you know? So it's, you know, it's, it's like a single mom living in this crappy, you know, house in Florida and she has like a 15 year old son and, um, the uh, the the you know we introduced the characters and on the, on the first uh, one of the first nights we we stay with them the mom somebody breaks into their house and kills savagely kills the mother and the kid walks in and um, the whatever it is whoever it is that's trying to kill the mom that killed the mom tries to kill him but ends up just knocking him out and then he, you know, the, the assailant runs away and when the kid wakes up, he not only has to deal with the fact that his mom's dead, but that he can't recognize any faces. So he wakes up and the doctors are like this, you know, we're gonna do like this weird thing, like, you know, he's gonna wake up from his coma or whatever, he's just gonna be like, what the hell is going on? And so, you know, so that was, you know, it was, and it was a cool little story. It wasn't like, it was just a really small little thing of like this kid trying to deal with, you know, his mom's death and the fact that he can't see faces and the fact that this guy that or this person that killed his mom is still out there um, and, you know, probably thinks that he, you know, that, he's, that he can identify him. So, but he can't. He doesn't know. You know he can't yeah. recognize faces. So, That's cool. Yeah, it was this cool thing where then the killer comes back into you don't know who it is and, you know, you find out the mom, you know, was sleeping, had an affair, was sleeping with somebody or whatever. And it's not... Kind of like it's not really like a mystery, but it's more about this kid just dealing, you know, this poor kid in Florida dealing with, you know, his all this this crazy trauma, you know. But we never got we never got to make it. And then Mary passed a few years ago. She was a really great friend of mine, and um, and actually, it's one of those scripts that, um, like, I was just talking to some people in Orlando because I still know a lot of people in Orlando, and Mary was from Orlando, and she was kind of like you know, one of the patron saints of Orlando, like she was just, you know, especially in the film world, like she was just really loved. And um, every time I go back to Orlando, somebody gets in a conversation with me about trying to do Faceless again. And I, and I think it would be a great little project to do. I just have to figure out how to do it. Yeah, it's a great hook. For yeah, it's a, it is. Really. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool little hook, man. And um, and it was, you know, she wrote, and it was a really unique script. Um, yes, but hopefully, you know, one day, I'll, maybe I'll get to make that one as well. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds really cool. Well, there was one more I read about, like, in 2016. I don't know if you can talk about it. It's called Sevenfold. Oh, my God, Sevenfold. Yeah, Sevenfold, I mean, it was basically, like, I mean, I can't really talk too much about this the story, but it was, like, um, it was, like, a possession movie, like, kind of an exorcist-type kind of film um, with a little, kind of an updated version of it, of the exorcist, sort of, um, uh, but definitely kind of a possession movie. And, uh, and uh, Blumhouse, uh, we were about to do it with Blumhouse. We were like uh, um, casting it and we were like, uh, you know, getting ready to, you know, uh, you know figure out we were, we were you know, ca casting the leads and making deals and all that stuff. And then um, there was a TV show, actually the TV show, The Exorcist. You remember that TV show, The Exorcist? Yeah. On Fox, yeah. It kind of, um, uh, part of the, part of the story of, the, of that show ran right into our movie. Oh. And mm. Blumhouse was kind of like, well, you know, we can't really keep going. And so they kind of canned it. Um, but uh, it's another script that, you know, I would like to make one day because I don't think, you know, I think it's different enough from the show that, that you know, it can set itself apart. Well, in a few years from now, I feel that yeah, exactly. it doesn't really matter. Yeah, and also, like, you know, no, I mean, unfortunately, because I really like that show, nobody saw that show. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, but so it's not like, you know, anybody's going to remember what, you know, what it was. But, um, 
Yeah, it was it had some similarities to to our script, and we, you know, and you know, Bonehouse got a little scared about it. Um, uh, and I'm still trying to make a movie with Blumhouse. We, we, we try to get another one going right after that. And we developed that for about a year, year and a half. Again, it fell apart. Uh, so, you know, it's just, uh, hopefully it's just a matter of time with them, but, um, they're great, great guys over there. They really know their horror and uh, really they give, they've, they give like the best notes of anybody we've ever worked with. Um, you know, it's, it's not like, it's not a, a mystery of why they're, they've been so successful, you know? Um, and we talked a little bit about this at the beginning of the previous episode, but maybe to kind of close things out, uh, what are you working on now that people can um, hopefully look I'm, forward to? Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, right now we're like, you know, like I said before, like we're all kind of quarantined, like you guys are, uh, we all kind of having, having to make do with what we can do, you know, what we can get. So we, uh, we have a, we're doing a pilot for, we just turned a pilot for an Apple show um horror show um and then we're writing uh we're doing a feature writing a feature um and uh about to pitch some uh a, another television show uh in the next couple weeks um we, we uh you know like after our bigfoot movie exists we kind of i got an opportunity to go to get into television and so greg and i have like both kind of been completely concentrating on the television world we've been developing i mean i'm always developing scripts you know because you never know but the indie world is so hard right now you know and um and it seems like the studios for some reason or the other like it's not a you know it hasn't been the right fit for me yet you know the right material whatever so um you know i still i'm super itching to do another feature but we've been like the last five almost six years now we've been exclusively on television me directing and him um writing and um coming up with ideas and, and um you know uh, just projects and stuff and uh, so hopefully we get you know hopefully this apple show goes if not something else will go but that's kind of what we we kind of want to concentrate on the idea of like building bigger stories and kind of doing what we, we did on Blair Witch, but being able to like explore it in the actual show, it just has, you know, like television, you know, as you guys know, it's like, like for me, honestly, like the stuff coming on television is even before COVID because there's nothing coming out in the theaters, but it seems like all, like most of the interesting stuff is coming out on television now, you know, like they're taking more risks and they're, you know, they're, they're giving you more artistic, you know, um, you know, leeway as far as like, you know, doing what you want to do. For sure. It, yeah. It seems like features, uh, horror features, unless you're like, you know, somebody who is, you know, has a huge, huge name and huge success, you know, they kind of, you, you kind of have to make a film that kind of fits into their, you know, mold, their kind of little box, you know, and um, so and we, we like the idea of, uh, you know, because in television, it seems like they, they just take more chances, it seems, on, on TV, you know what I mean? Um, so that's kind of what we've been concentrating on, and, and hopefully, knock on wood, we'll get, you know, this Apple show goes, Um but, uh, you know, that's kind what of... What would the title be, so people... It's called... Uh, right now, it's called Maldición, which is, like, curse in Spanish. Um, but we don't, you know, who the hell knows what will happen. <laughs> it'll be, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's a cool title, maybe. You know, hopefully, we keep it. Um, but, you know, we're, like... You know, we... You know, uh, as you guys know, there's a lot of steps to getting a show made. And we're kind of, like, you know, maybe a third of the way, you know, toward a green light, maybe. So... Who knows what will happen, but we're having a good time writing it. We're writing it, uh, Greg Hale, my partner's writing it. We're also writing it with uh, Alejandro Bruges, who's the director of uh, Juan of the Dead. Yeah, I love that uh, movie. Really talented guy. And uh, so, um, you know, that's kind of what we're concentrating on right now. Oh, awesome. Well, I'm still pulling for Manable someday. Yeah, yeah sure. man, I mean, you know, I mean, if, <laughs> if, if, I ever, if I ever have another hit, you know, if I ever, <laughs> whether it's television or whatever, or movies, um, you know, I have a pretty good backlog of stuff. Now I have like a backlog of material. So, you know, who knows? Maybe it'll see the light of day one day. All right. Well, Eduardo, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Thank you guys, man. It was great. Oh, thank you. Oh, yeah. By the way, I love Exist and I really dig Seventh Moon. You made some really cool films. So oh, thank you, man. Appreciate you. Thank and you, uh, I continue to recommend Altered to people. Wait. I think that's a cool, yeah, I, cool I love movie. Altered, all right, you can find us on Best Movies Never Made on Instagram and at 
never made film on Twitter. I also recommend you get the Electric Now app so you can watch video of our podcast for free and all our sister podcasts on the Electric Surge Network, like the 430 Movie and Glorious Trexperts, Rebel and the Rogue. Uh, also, a special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone here at Electric Surge Network, including our producers, Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman. So until next time, this is Josh Miller and Steven Scarlatta. <laughs> And work on that timing, Steve, saying we won't see you at the movies. This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.